Good morning. I'm Rick Bonfim, and uh, I want to share with you today uh, something in the life of the Apostle Paul that will bless your life. As you remember, when he wrote the letter to Galatians, uh, and Galatians is a large area that uh, encompasses most of Turkey. In Acts 16, Paul is traveling in the Holy Spirit prevented him from going into Phrygia and Galatia. And, uh, and twice he tried to move that way, but God spoke to Paul. And of course, remember, he was in Troas uh, with Barnabas, uh, and uh, he had a dream, and the dream was a vision. And the vision was, uh, come to Macedonia and help us. But on chapter 2 of Galatians, he is writing uh, uh, about his experience with the consul. It's the trip that he took to Jerusalem to meet the consul, the, the leaders of the church, which in those days were the apostles of Jesus Christ. So Paul is seeking approval from the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, more specifically Peter, John, and James, the brother of Jesus. So preached... He preached the message of salvation by faith. And what happened was Christian Jews that came in after the work of Paul in the, in the Galatian area. And they began saying, oh, you, you, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, it's difficult to point to you and share with you the, the, how the, the nature of society was in those days. But I can say something about that. He preached in the middle of a Roman world, corrupted by sorcery, by magic, by incantations, all subsided by the Roman army and uh, posted throughout the world. And so Rome was in charge of most of those, those areas. And slavery run the economy. And the most poor of the poorest lived in Jerusalem because of the oppression to the farmers. And so we're talking about really year uh, uh, 47 to about 58. The Jews in Asia Minor were caught up into this legalistic idea that part of the law is necessary for salvation. And so when we look at these first believers, uh, you think of the way to think differently. How to be able to understand the gospel in the middle of so much sorcery. But when you got the idea that salvation is by faith, it's so overwhelming to have this freedom in Christ to know that you don't have to worship other gods uh, and you have to win over uh, the, the legalistic idea of adding something to salvation requirements. And so, Weaning over the power of darkness gave the early Christians new hope. But they were caught up in these ways of trade. And of course, you know, you, today when you do a trade of some kind, you go into a, a, a room and the drinks are all in the house. And you have a time to drink it and to celebrate uh, uh, the business. Well, in those days, you would celebrate the business by an offer to sacrifices unto gods and deities. That's the Roman way of doing business. 
And so, and so the new Christians of those days were very much challenged. And so Paul says to early Christians, For us, there is only one God the Father, from whom are all things from whom we exist, and the only one Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that no, no other God can come into this, into, this, uh, into this exchange, into this understanding. And so it's a time for the Apostle Paul to find himself checking up with Jerusalem to see how they are going to receive. Remember, Paul is in ministry now for 17 years. And uh, 17 years of ministry, Paul is worried, is concerned. Two things a human need, a human being needs. The, 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 the most important is validation. You have to have a call, of course, but you have to be validated. And it seems like in this chapter, in this chapter 2, 10 verses of Galatians 2, he's trying to be validated. And I want to tell you something. Uh, the definition of validation is the action of proving the validity or accuracy of something. Not too many years ago, maybe three years ago, our ministry, and in, 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 with the help of the staff, we put a book together called uh, uh, Praying with Accuracy. And, of course, I thought that uh, doing well and, and, and uh, uh, doing, uh, writing the book and with the help of uh, Betty McKinney and Jonathan Dunn, uh, we finally got it uh, a way to get it published to, to uh, our own company. And we began to put the book throughout, uh, throughout uh, every, every channel of communication. But something happened as a letter from Nashville, Tennessee came, a video from a man called Andrew Miller. And his email was validating what I had experienced. And of course, that was the first time in 40 years that an uh, authority in the kingdom uh, would validate me. Nobody has ever done that. No superintendent, no bishop, no one would ever say kind words to me. But simply... Uh, uh, called me a charismatic, which I had no idea. I responded, I drove a Ford. I had no idea what they're talking about. And so, but when Andrew Miller spoke into my life, you see, I received a very powerful touch of God. My daughter this week sent me an email. And, uh, and she says, you probably, Dad, don't remember that you bought ice cream for all the kids there. And she showed me a picture of an ice cream truck and about 20 kids standing on the line, and I'm there paying ice cream for all the kids. I don't know what happened to me. I just decided that I would uh, pay ice cream to everybody. Well, my kids, he said, she says, my kids talk about it all the time. It's funny to me that they see this as the ultimate expression of your generosity. I know more of all the ways you have given to others. Either way, Owen said yesterday, there's no Papa like our Papa. He's right. I love you, Dad. And of course, when Owen said there's no Papa like our Papa, I felt validated. I felt like as a grandfather, I'm doing things uh, that really impressed them and they accept me and call me Papa. You see, that's validation. And so chapter 2 in Galatians Verses uh, 1 through 10, it is really validation. It is, it, is, it is Paul seeking someone that would say, 
you're okay by me. You know, sometimes as life is so radical these days, as the definition of sexuality is changing rapidly, uh, that a pastor makes a decision and preaches a powerful sermon on Sunday morning, and as you write him and congratulate him on the word, it's a validation to him. Now, you are hearing here the heart of a very important man. He is not only the Apostle Paul who wrote uh, 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 a third of the New Testament, but he defined grace, defined justification. Uh, Therefore, since you are justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have gained access into this grace, into which we now stand and rejoice in the the presence of God. That's Romans 5.1. Very important verse. For we rejoice. So when... When you are listening to Paul as he writes and comes into Jerusalem in in Acts 15, you begin to understand very much what's going on. So let me take you through a small journey through these ten verses. And what I'm going to do is read each verse, and then I'm going to comment on what really is happening here because the verses are carrying so much information that in 30 minutes, if I... If, if, if I derail to the left on a story, I won't be able to finish. So let's take a look. First of all, let's see what, uh, what this says. It's Galatians chapter 2. Then, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. So the second visit to Jerusalem again occurred 14 years after he'd been born again. So you're talking about uh, 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 14 plus several, two or three more years. You're talking about Paul being in ministry for 17 years, bringing thousands to know Christ in the freedom of the gospel. And so he hears that the accusations against him, and he needs to say, sit down with Peter. He needs to sit down with John, the Apostle John. He needs to sit down with James, the brother of Jesus, and have a powwow about this. Now, why is he so concerned? He's so concerned because when you change the rules of the game, you weaken the grace of God. You see, you might think that the grace of God is something extended to every one of them. But in the process of extending the grace of God to everybody you meet, you can deny the cross. The grace is given through the cross. In other words, if the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins is not understood as the work of the Holy Spirit of conviction, you have denied the cross and accept His grace. You're double-talking here. And so... Paul's second visit to Jerusalem, again, notice the verse, again. It says, 14 years after I went up again. That's the second time. About 47 after Christ. Now, Jesus had a ministry from 30 to 33 and a half. So you're talking about three years later, Paul is saved. And he grows up. And after 17 years... Paul is back into ministry. So, Paul went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. That's very important because Barnabas was a Jew. 
But Titus was a non-circumcised Gentile. So he takes the two to try to convince the apostles of what he's been preaching. He's trying to be validated. He wants the apostles to understand where he is. Is that good? It is very necessary. You see, when... when well, let's not, let's not detract from this. Let's go to verse 2 again and read. And I went up by revelation. Meaning God told him to go. And communicated unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Communicated to them the gospel which he preached that God gave him among the Gentiles. So now, the phrase to those that were of reputation, he's trying to refer to the apostles, these three major apostles, those who were uh, uh, of reputation, which is Peter, the head of the church, it is James, it is John. And Paul here is fearing that unless these apostles understood where he's been for, for 17 years, they would oppose his future ministry. And after having so much love and so much fruit in these missionary journeys, Paul is, is simply saying, I have to validate this from those that are in authority. No. When you submit to authority, it doesn't mean you have to agree with authority. When you submit to authority, it doesn't mean you have to agree with authority. And Paul is not agreeing with them. He's submitting to them, which is a great difference. Today there are many pastors who are seeing the destruction of the work of the cross by extending grace without forgiveness of sins. We're redefining sin in society today in order to create membership. And by the way, when you bring people that are totally demonized, people that are totally uh, involved in cults, involved in, in sorcery, and you don't know how to handle them, uh, they will contaminate the environment and the church begins to die. You see, it's impossible to extend grace to a demon-possessed person when you don't understand how to approach it. In other words, it's, it's becoming a major problem. And so Paul is in that vein. He is saying, I know that you all need to understand because by least by any means I might run in vain. I've been doing ministry in vain. Indeed, they might even disturb what he had already done and rob the peace. He had been running for, 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 for 17 years. Now verse... Uh, Let's go to verse 3. Uh, but neither Titus was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Meaning that the Judaizers were trying to get T Titus to give in. And that because of false prophets, false brethren, unawares brought in. Verse 5. To whom we gave a place by subjection, not for an hour. Meaning he would not give him an hour in considering that subject. When something so appealing, something so overwhelming comes to you to make a decision, you should know and remain in biblical grounds. If you're trying to please others in conflicting with biblical foundation, you're going to sin against the Lord and your life's going to be required. These are days in which you have to stand. It's not really 
really fair that you give in on biblical foundation because you want to please anybody. God is no respecter of persons. So when, when, when verse uh, when verse uh, six come in, and I want to run uh, uh, verse seven, eight, and nine, and let me go to those verse seven, eight, and nine. It says verse six. I'm sorry, but these who seem to be somewhat whatever they were, it makes no matter to me. He's referring to them. I know they're 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 they're, they're people in authority. I know that they are Christ. They are they are the leaders. They are the super apostles in Jerusalem. But it doesn't matter much. No more difference to me. God shows no favoritism. I received this gospel by revelation. It's impossible that I change my mind. And so, what what I'm saying to you is that if you have the conviction that what you need to do in a certain situation is of paramount importance to you and you are on solid biblical ground, stand. These are days in which when you don't stand, somebody's going to stand on top of you and crush your commitment, crush your testimony. And so, verse 6 says, For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Meaning that what Peter and and what uh, John and, and James said and did wasn't to minimize what he had experienced. That the witness of Paul was vibrant. And that they didn't add, they didn't correct, they didn't instruct, they didn't take out, they didn't uh, were correcting him uh, because they were convicted. Now when you have that type of faith and no one can stand or minimize you or put you down or harass you, it's because they're convicted. Now when the one correcting and trying to correct you uh, uh, cannot do it, the testimony that you have is winning against the forces of darkness. You don't worry about those that accuse you and try to belittle you and try to put you down and harass you. Stand firm. Remember, you're going to respond to God in one day. You're going to come in the presence of God and He's going to require of you to answer what you have done about this subject. And I want you to know that RBM is a ministry that do not compromise. Do not sell the gospel in cheap grace. And so, when we get into verse 7, 8, and 9, we begin to realize that Paul is simply saying, the gospel of circumcision is the gospel toward the Jews. Peter will take care of that. The gospel of uncircumcision is for the Gentiles. And Paul says, I'll take care of that. And as they begin to deal with this and begin to work together in that powerful meeting, the gospel Paul preached was at the same time as of Peter and other apostles. They, they looked at Paul and listened to Paul. And Paul acknowledges here that the apostles did in Jerusalem and that worked effectively both in Peter and in me. In other words, the gospel that Paul preached was the same gospel that Peter preached to different people. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles and of course, uh, was no less effective than Peter was to the circumcised. And so this is really important. Now, let's take a look at how Paul feels about uh, when he says, pillars, pillars. He's saying, 
James, Peter, and John seemed to be pillars. And, and in one sense, they were pillars of the early church. Paul knew that the Lord Jesus Christ is a real pillar of the church. If Paul had an idea that a pillar of the church are those who do the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction and healing and deliverance and salvation to the lost. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 17. It says, Ah, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you, have, you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollo watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God can make things grow. You see, I'm the evangelist. And I hope those that I have ministered to for a long time, 20, 30, 40 years, that you are people who are in your mode planting the seed. And some of you are watering the seed in spite of what you think of me. In other words, I'm so glad that the people who believe that RBM is a ministry that should be considered remain people that will be able to share the gospel with others. And he says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. And so I'm not bigger than you are. I'm not more important than you are. You are important just as I am important in the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, I'm not better than Peter. I'm not better than James. I'm not better uh, 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 than John. I, I, I'm doing what God called me to do. And I want you to see me as someone that honors and respects those. So listen to, to verse 10. By the grace God has given me, it's 1 Corinthians 3, 5. But the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. By the grace of God given me, I lay a foundation as the wise builder, and someone else is building on it. I want you to be a builder. Someone that will spread the gospel. Someone that will tell others about Christ. Someone that will, will, be, will be loved because your heart is with the lost. You know, our mission has a group of 40 to 100 people. And we travel worldwide preaching the gospel. In Cuba, soon to be uh, in Peru, heading again to Brazil after the pandemic. And oh, what a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing to see the people of God laying hands, anointing the people that come to receive Christ, baptizing them like we did in Cuba not too long ago. 400 people in one afternoon. And so... Ah, Paul is saying this. I'm, I'm honoring you who do the building. I'm honoring you who do the watering. I'm honoring you who are, are planting the seed. You see, he is opening the idea that there are pillars. But you don't live according to the pillars because they have their call. So what is your call? What are you going to do with your life? And so, but each one should build with care. That's 1 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 10. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that already is laid, which is Christ Jesus. You see, you take the cross of Christ, <clears throat> and you become a church for all those in need throughout the world. But when their need crosses 
against the Scripture, and there's no conviction of sin, and there's no repentance, there's no cross. You can't change that. You can't write another gospel. And what I'm saying to you is that church leaders today are trying to write another gospel. And I tell you, it's going to fall flat. And I prophesy that in five years, that part of the church will bankrupt. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will be each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now, you have to recognize this. That in the ministry of Paul, God gave a specific call to his life. Uh, Bible teachers, leaders, pastors, missionaries, builders. As far as the heart of Paul to be validated, this trip to Jerusalem is one of five. You know, I was amazed when I, had, when I read that he'd been in Jerusalem five times. And so the other apostles had a chance to at least see him. It's impossible. Look, after uh, the Damascus experience in Acts 9.26, Paul went to Jerusalem. When the famine came and the churches uh, in Jerusalem were hurting and, and in need of food, Paul carried the, went, to the, went to the Galatian and took money in Acts 11.27-30. On Acts 15, we just mentioned that, Paul visited the council and conferred with the pillars of the church. After the second missionary journey, Paul in Acts 18.22, he went into Jerusalem one more time. <clears throat> and the final visit to Jerusalem was when he was put in prison, and then the detachment took him to Caesarea, and from there to Rome in Acts 21.15. So when you look at what Paul was trying to do with the pillars of the church, gave him strength to come to Jerusalem several times, five times in Acts. So he's known by the apostles then. So why then Paul is so concerned about the matter of salvation by faith alone? Let's talk about that just a moment. If you put your faith on something other than the cross, you're going to lose the ability to hear from the Holy Spirit. If your call is questioned, someone must come to validate you. You know, 17 years of hard-fought ministry is in a corrupt society is being questioned. And most of you who are listening to me, special pastors and leaders, are being questioned right now. You're doubting. You're wondering. And you are questioning, are there righteousness in weakening the cross? Can someone come to Christ? without forgiveness of sins. That's what's in the stake. So here's another a thought that you might consider. The anointing in your life, it might be a fire that, ne that never stops burning. Just in the life of Paul, it never stops burning. If you listen to men like Art Miller, and you talk to men like David Nutter, David Ford, and, and Lane Tucker, and... and and, 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 and David Bleakman and all the men of John Williams and all the men in our Bible study in Atlanta and all the men like Mike Reeder in our ministry, you got to come to understanding that they are considering continuously a call that never stops. 
The gifts and the call are irrevocable. So in the life of Paul, he couldn't, he couldn't stop. He had to come and confer with those leaders in order to get them to back him up in the work that had already been done. You see, to take faith in the cross, it's a serious business. So he stopped everything. Other thing too, you are on your own. You don't have anything to do. God owns you completely. You are completely sold to the cross and the work of salvation. I can't, I don't, I don't take care of my own life. He, I belong to Him and you belong to Him. You might feel lonely today. You might feel desperate today. You're not getting the support of your church and your pastor and there's no services and people are not coming to church and the, and the numbers are small. But you must understand that you are someone justified by faith in Christ for the work of the cross. You are very special to the Lord God. Number, number four, God changes your direction without your permission. He's not going to ask you what He thinks. God is, God is, is sovereign. He will do what needs to be done. And you've got to understand that in this time and age, when God does something like that, it's because He wants to rule your life and reign in your life. The most gracious thing you can know is to know that my God is ahead of me doing whatever He needs to do at all times, 24-7. And number five, God is the rudder of our ship. He tells direction. He's the one who simply tells so, before I go today, it's about time to let it go. Uh, I want to just a moment uh, say to you that I hope that you're listening to what I've said today. I hope that you will understand the heart of Paul. Remember, the Apostle Paul, in this struggle to win the gospel, and in Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 28, says, Five times I received from the Jews forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I have often given without, lived without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold. I have been naked. Now, that's a man under tremendous conviction of God. And I want you today to validate him. I want you to validate, and I want to validate you this morning and say to you, I don't think you have suffered anything like this. But if it comes to suffer, take it on. If you lost your church, be encouraged. God will restore you. If you lost your appointment, be encouraged. God will strengthen you. Uh, if you are being debated as some liberal fundamental and, and called conservative, do not deny the cross. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I believe. Amen. Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste 
atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás. E eu vejo de coração aberto para receber o pecador. E eu oro estrela alva brilha em mim, brilha a luz que é no meu viver. 